Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the first ever Busting Brackets podcast. I am Connor Hope here with Brian Ralph, Brian Morrow, and Jason Burgess, and we are all contributors to Busting Brackets, the NCAA news and opinion site brought to you by Fansided Network. Busting Brackets is dedicated to providing top-notch NCAA basketball news, views, and original content. And we're here to break down what exactly happened in the non-conference this season as we head into conference play. We have a lot to talk about after the non-conference play. So in the interest of time, let's just jump into it. Uh, Jason, why don't we start with you? What were your initial thoughts, uh, memorable games or surprising teams that kind of emerged in this non-conference play? Well, I'll start with uh, uh, my my surprising teams actually are playing later this week and two of them will be Texas Tech and West Virginia but for completely different reasons, Texas Tech lost a ton of production and they're arguably better than they were last year and had a chance to beat Duke. I mean, they were in that game for about 35 minutes or so. And West Virginia, for a complete opposite reason, they returned a lot and they were picked third, I believe, in the Big 12 preseason poll. And they've just struggled mightily. Their offense was great at the beginning of the year, but in the last five games or so, they've averaged, uh, I think it's like 69 points a game and really struggled. Yeah, I definitely think everyone is kind of, maybe not surprised with Texas Tech, given that Chris Beard is the coach there, but uh, a little bit surprised with how they've responded to losing their production that they had last year. Um, what about you, Brian? I think the the big thing with Texas Tech this year is people thought they'd be okay, but thought they would regress a little bit because they lost Keenan Evans, lost Cyrus Smith. Natural tendency is when you lose players of that caliber, you're going to take a step back, and they haven't done that. I think that's the big surprise is that they're now, I think, a program under Chris Beard that can stay as a top 15, top 20 team instead of just a kind of team that like West Virginia that can get their kind of – cyclically or they get a recruiting class in and seniors and that kind of thing. So that was a big surprise for me. Arizona state kind of along those same lines, uh, Bobby Hurley clearly building something good in Tempe, even though maybe they're not the most consistent team in the world. We've kind of seen that with their win over Kansas and then went and lost to Princeton, but they're in the pac 12. So I don't know how much you can really expect from them, um, but they've, they've been a team that has one completely changed their identity. Last year, they were a team that was full of guards and could only shoot threes. This year, they're a team that's one of the biggest teams in the country and still shoots threes but can beat you playing a, a real pressure defense and can beat you inside if they need to. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from them. And uh, Buffalo becoming, I, I think, a real player on the national stage as an at-large team potentially, uh, too, was a bit of a surprise. Maybe it shouldn't have been given what they did last year, but I, I think that was something that really kind of became a, a very real reality early on in the season. I, I'm, I'm going to go with Texas Tech that being super surprising. I, in my preseason rankings, had them at nine, uh, eighth out of tenth. Or eight, yeah, eight, eight out of ten, and I'll even throw Oklahoma in there, even though I think Oklahoma's kind of a little bit of a mirage. But I did not think that Oklahoma would be anywhere close to eleven and one at any point this year, at all, with their schedule, and they've actually looked pretty good. And 
it actually kind of shows that they literally had one guy last year, Trey Young, and that was pretty much the reason they won all those games, and he may have actually hindered them more than he helped them. But Texas Tech, I just want to talk about them for a second. Jarrett Culver's a dude. Like, mm-hmm. that that dude, I mean, he, he man, I don't, he gets buckets, man. He gets buckets, he plays defense, he rebounds well. Of course, if you want to play for Chris Beard, you have to play defense. But their defense is otherworldly. I mean, they have Tariq Owen, transfer from St. John's, blocks a ton of shots, and he can score a little bit, really good rebounder. You have David Moretti as their two-guard. Then they have the grad transfer from South Dakota and Matt Mooney, who I didn't really expect a lot out of, but he also is brings a little bit something different to their team. They're the most surprising team to me, and the least surprising – the, the most surprising, I kind of go with what Jason said in the opposite direction – is the entire Pac-12. Yes. I mean, the whole conference. <laughs> I did not expect any of them to, I mean, very good, but UCLA is an absolute train oh wreck. Oh, my goodness. Like, they are, they're a train wreck, and they've quit playing for Alford, and I don't know how he survives next week. Washington, I had high expectations for, and they've let me down. Mm-hmm. Arizona State was the one team that I didn't really think would be any good, and now they are really good. And... I don't know. Stanford is a mess. Um, USC, again, something's going on there with Andy Enfield because that team has way too much talent to be that bad. I still can't <laughs> believe that they beat Loyola Marymount by as bad as they did because when Loyola beat Loyola Marymount that bad, Loyola Marymount was actually playing really well. So in USC – so that was UCLA, sorry. USC-UCLA beat Crush Loyola Marymount and Loyola Marymount's only loss. And both of those teams have gone in completely opposite directions since that game. Yeah, yeah I don't know. As a West Coaster, watching the Pac-12 has definitely not been on the top of my list um, <laughs> to do. I think the only thing that can save Alford right now is his is his buyout because I think it's three point six million right now, and then it drops to one on April thirtieth. So if he were to somehow yeah. make it through the season, like I think that's kind of what they're hoping that they're at least okay in conference play and then they could just kind of buy time till the season's done and save that 2.6 million but if, if they keep playing like they are and they start pack 12 play 0 and 4 0 and 5 like he's going to be gone then like there's going to be mean, too much of a storm around them for him to be able to survive that they got blasted by liberty and yeah. not, nothing against liberty liberty is a good team but they should not be blasting <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. ucla and Pauly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. None, none of this. Well, Liberty is a good team. It's a Liberty should not so never be on the Liberty should never be on the same court as UCLA. I don't care how good of a team Liberty is; they should yeah. never be on the same kind of level as UCLA. I just wanted to throw that in there because in case any Liberty fans listen, I don't want to say like they're a good team, but they they should not be boat racing UCLA yes. ever, ever. Well, and I and I think that goes towards a kind of common theme over this on conference play is that the mid majors have really made a statement this year. Uh, Texas Southern got a couple of upsets. There have been a lot of mid majors that have beat three some really good. Yeah, yeah you know, their only D one wins are against Power Five. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They have three D one wins and they're all Power Five. But yeah, these mid majors, man, are they're making a statement. I mean, it, it generally, it was just. Gonzaga at the top and all the other mid-majors would maybe get a win in the tournament, maybe pick up a win or two during the regular season. But now you've got teams like Nevada and Buffalo and even San Francisco 
mm-hmm. really making a statement. Who San Francisco, to be perfectly honest, may have killed their at-large hopes last night. I hope they didn't, but they might have. That was bad loss. Yeah, I don't know how, how great their at-large chances were. I think they had to to kind of improve those, and they still they still kind of do. I think if they get a win over Gonzaga, probably at home, um, that'll make them a much more serious contender. I, I really think we could see multiple mid-majors get multiple bids into the tournament uh, you, in terms of conferences. Like the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga's in. You already know that. If San Francisco were to get a win over Gonzaga, you can potentially talk about them um, if they make the conference championship game and lose to Gonzaga. Of course, if someone else wins, then there's your automatic – Journey towards two bids for the WCC. The MAC with Buffalo. Buffalo is an at-large team. Assuming Toledo. They don't, Toledo. They don't fall apart. Toledo is really good. Ball State's a decent team. Um, Central you know, Michigan's playing really well as well. Yeah. Right. Kent so, State. So like unlike, the, good. unlike the Pac-12, there's opportunities for conference games in the MAC to be actual resume-boosting wins, mm-hmm. which, we would have, which we've never said. Here's my thing, <laughs> though, with going back to the West Coast Conference. Hypothetically. Connor, you follow the West Coast Conference probably more than any of the three of uh, the rest of the three of us do. Yeah. Hypothetically, if say San Francisco goes twenty-eight and well, okay, so twenty-seven and four, okay, yeah. loses to Gonzaga twice but beats everybody else, you think they'd still be kept out? I just I don't see a big win on their schedule right now. I mean they Buffalo? they oh, they lost to Buffalo, lost to Buffalo. Right. and so that would have been the one day. I think they have to win one of three against Gonzaga to get into the tournament. I really do. And San Diego, I don't know what their path is. Kind of, oh, I don't see them getting any there with the lat large. No. no. Yeah, well, with San Francisco, too, they never went into the St. Mary's problem because St. Mary's had that last year. I think they had, like, five losses the whole year but didn't have that win. Now, they had some terrible lo- – I think they lost to Washington State and Georgia last year, too. That really hurt them. But that lack of having a big win kind of killed any chances they had of getting in. Yeah. Yeah, I think the difference for San Francisco is San Francisco could potentially be a, what, a four-loss, five-loss team, and mm-hmm. all their losses are against tournament teams because I do think UCSB yeah, has yeah. a shot at making so that's the difference there, but I just, I just don't see how the the committee can justify it without a big win. I, I'm honestly under the impression that uh, if if all the favorites win their conferences, so UC Irvine wins the Big West, Gonzaga um, wins the WCC, whoever is going to be the favorite going into the Pac-12 wins the Pac-12, and Nevada wins the Mountain West. I really do think that all six conferences out West could be one mid leagues. And that is a sad space for West coast basketball. Can we start talking about Nevada going undefeated? Uh, you can, I do really think that's a general, like that is a, as bad as also as bad as the mountain West has looked overall from top to bottom Mm -hmm. minus Nevada. That is a real possibility that they could really easily go undefeated. The, the threats I see is if San Diego state gets hot, San Diego State could possibly beat Nevada. Um, and Fresno State, I, I still believe in Fresno a, State to, to beat Nevada. San Diego possibly. State's got to play a San Diego State's got to play a lot better than they did in their boat racing of Brown last night, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Get 28-0 run at home in the second in the right at the end of the first half. It was a good week for the Ivy. Yeah, it was. It was a good week <laughs> for the Ivy. 
Yes, well, yes, one, it was. One thing too that I think may help the mid majors um, is that with the Pac-12 struggling, um, with the Big Twelve not going to get everybody in the field, like it's looking like a normal year for them. Um, the Big East not having as many top teams as they did last year. There's going to be a lot more bids up for grabs, at large bids up for grabs. I mean, the ACC is going to fill their eight nine. The Big Ten is going to fill their eight nine. The Big Twelve is going to get probably six, maybe seven. But you know, uh, the Pac twelve, uh, the Pac twelve is not going to get their three bids they got last year, right? You know, like they might the, not get. Two, they might like the SEC is not going to fill. That's a, that's a stretch. Their SEC is not going to fill their eight they got last year. They may get six in, but they're not going to fill their eight. There's going to be a number, a, a couple of those at-large bids kind of floating about that it will come down to um, a really good mid-major against a you know third-place Pac-12 team that sucks. And so it's going to come down to I, I think some of those decisions may may favor mid-majors um, for those at-large bids first four kind of games in March. Can we talk about I think to the Southern Conference? Oh, the Southern Conference. Yeah. And the yep. Ma- and the Missouri Valley are going to be kind of conferences to keep an eye on. The Valley, I didn't realize, has – they really only have – I mean, I don't think they have anybody in there that can get an at-large. Maybe, may- maybe Loyola, maybe. Maybe Drake at this point right now. But that – they could potentially be a multi-bid league, but the SoCon could 100% get three teams in. Charleston, um, Wofford, I don't know about and maybe three, EPSU. If you get two. I, Confer- I mean, Furman's the one that has the best chance at the at-large, but I don't think they're going to win enough games. I think so- their path to two is Furman winning the regular season title and then someone and then upsetting Losing them. in the final, yep. Yeah, well, Furman, too, um, just got – I think they just lost by 23 to, to East Tennessee ECC, State. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Which, hurt, which hurts. I saw yeah. people say yeah. yesterday, like, remember when Furman was good? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> like, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I never put him in my top 25. Play. I kind of I thought villain. It was more a product of Villanova starting off slow, and it was Furman, you know, starting starting the season as by what they were, you know. But I so. do think that Villanova win will look better as the year goes on. Oh yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. But the question is, is is, but that 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 still leads the question though. I mean, Furman's still going to have that loss to you know, Presbyterian or, right, UNC or, or whoever. <laughs> out there like a bottom tier SOCON team or VMI or someone like that. And you'll be like, that, that well, that's, that's the loss. Now. That's the loss. These at large, hopeful major at large hopefuls have, have to avoid. You can have losses in conference play, but they have to be to the top teams in your conference. Yeah. They cannot be to the Presbyterians, the VMIs, the, the kind of bottom of the SOCON that can't happen. Speaking of another mid-major school that I was like, I'm absolutely floored by UNC Asheville, who had <laughs> who, who has been really really good for a long time, got absolutely waxed on their home floor by an NAIA school last night. Love it. They lost by like 25. I was like, what happened to that program? Nothing good, apparently. Yeah. No. <laughs> You get beat by an NAI school on your home floor by 20 points. Well, at, at, at all. It's still that's not yeah. good. I think I remember looking at them over the summer, and their roster got decimated by graduation and defections. They lost like eight guys, and there was a coaching change. And just a complete mess. Oh. 
Yep. Losing to losing to 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 an NAI school or to D three school or whatever it was is not is, is not the way to start a program at all. So. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Idaho had one of those losses as well. At one of the big sky, <laughs> they lost to. They, had, they played three non D one programs and went two and one. And you're just sitting there. Like, <laughs> that should count as two losses, right? <laughs> like when Stephen F. Austin was losing to that one uh, school, like their first or second game. That school was actually pretty decent in Division two. I think they were like a four time Final Four, like Final Four, like D two Final Four team, who was pretty good. But then people are like, they can't lose. And I'm like, well, if you think about it, it's the first game of the year, and it really doesn't go against your net, your RPI, or, like, really any of your metrics. Yeah, you don't really want to lose the game. But Stephen F. Austin will get enough D1 wins where it won't really matter. They ended up winning, but... Yeah, and schools like that, you're not getting... Like, it would only matter if you're talking about an at-large team, and they're not building an at-large resume. No, they're building a resume to win their conference. And by the way, the Southland looks right now, it's not going to be... Yeah. So... I mean, the two top teams in that league last year, Stephen F. Austin and Southeastern Louisiana. Southeastern Louisiana is dreadfully bad. So, we'll see. Yeah. I do also like, since I cover the Horizon League, I get really intrigued by Horizon League basketball. Northern Kentucky. Or Northern Kentucky's really good. But my team, UI, the Illinois-Chicago Flames, who I've been hyping for the last three years now, finally got a huge win at Wright State. And was like, finally, third year's a joke. There you go. But they finally knocked somebody <laughs> off. And then they got beat by 35 by Northern Kentucky Day. But nonetheless, they had a really good win at Wright State. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're, honestly, for me, there are two uh, teams that have – been pretty impressive to me um both brand new to d1 cal baptist i know they've played some non-d1 teams but eight and five is not a bad record for a team who just moved into being a d1 program and north north alabama watch them against zaga go there i just (laughs) not that they are good not that they're good not at all they went down what was it 30 to 3 and still managed to put together a semi-respectable score. I mean, wasn't, that, wasn't it like forty-seven to six at one point or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. If Lucas is listening, I mean, you know, North Alabama did actually score before Butler did. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a disaster. Of a game. I don't know. I don't know how good. I don't. I don't know how good Butler is. Like I don't know how good they're one of those teams is. in the Big East that I just you just don't know how good they are. So are we talking about Seton Hall being one of those teams that we don't know how good they are? Isn't that Seton I've, Hall every year? Yeah, but I, me as a fan, like as putting my rider my, my rider hat aside, me as a fan, a fan of the team that I love, I want Seton Hall to win as many games as they possibly can to make that win that Nebraska has over them look really good. However. St. John should have won that game last night. That yeah. call was atrocious. Yeah, that was bad. I, I, they made that call. And then today, the referees of the Big East like, we had no comment. And I was like, no comment? Like, you – St. John should have won that game. <laughs> like, yeah, they really, sh- they really should have. But that, and that's the other team, too. How could, Like, we think St. John's is really good. We don't know that because they haven't played – St. John – or Seton Hall is the best team they've played by far. And, yes. you know, I don't know if they're a team that's on, if that's where they are, 
is a team basically a, a Seton Hall 2.0 with a, a better point guard, or if they're a better team that had a bad game, you know? But that's my thing. And can we just talk about Chris Mullen? If they don't do anything, I mean, I know he's a legend there, but they have to go somewhere else if he doesn't do anything, right? I mean, if they go 12 and 0 in the non con and tournament, mm-hmm. there's no way they can keep him around, at least not maybe, maybe for one more year. I, I don't know. It's going to get to a point with him where I feel like he's going to get a lot of, well, one more year. Well, one more year. And then you look up and he's been there five extra years and you go, oh, we should have fired him five years ago. Yeah. I think when he took over, I don't think people give enough respect to just how big of a mess it was there when he took over. Like he kind of he kind of inherited it the same way. Um, I'm trying to think. Let's say, let's say, I don't know who the Arizona Cardinals coach is. Um, oh, Steve Wilkes? Well, yeah, was their but, coach. but you know, the Cardinals were a decent team the past couple of years, and then he takes over at the exact wrong time, and they're absolutely terrible. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what happened with Chris Mullen. Like he inherited a program that was just breedering on being dreadful, and then his first year happened to be when all of that finally caught up with the program. I mean, he, he's done a lot of good work to build it back up, but uh, there's also plenty of very fair criticisms you can have about him as a coach. I just don't know if he's any – I mean, last year, obviously something happened because there's no way that um, Shamori Pons and – oh, uh, drawing a blank here. Uh, Le, yeah, LeVette. No way that – yeah, no way that, that that kid would just sit out voluntarily if something didn't actually happen. And apparently he was not hurt. He just – his dad got mad and said, you're not playing anymore. So, I don't know. Bill, he's, we, yeah, he's playing in Europe somewhere now, I think. I think he left to go get a, some money overseas or something. So let me ask, so let's kind of can we talk about the unbeat like the teams that are uh, the the completely defeated teams the winless teams? Can we go over under on when Coppin State gets a W? Never. I was hoping it was happening like yesterday, man. T twenty. I was hoping it was happening yesterday because then I was going. What excuse is the committee going to make now for putting Notre Dame in the tournament after losing to Coppin State at home? <laughs> like, I mean, like, like last year, like, oh, well, they didn't have Bonzi Colson for a while. Yeah, well, this year. There you go. Same excuse. They didn't have Bonzi Colson. <laughs> yeah, okay, that was, yeah. Well, Mike Bright needs to be in the tournament. Same reason that. And I will say another surprising team for me, just since we're on the same topic, Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I was really high on Syracuse. I've been, I tw- I've tweeted numerous times before, which makes me look like freezing cold takes. That Syracuse is the Final Four team with uh, Frank Howard? Yeah, they're not. Well, <laughs> here's, my, here's my thing with them. They they might be. I, they're the kind of team that, uh, at least in my view, is going to follow the same kind of pattern that they've gone through the past couple of years because their offense is dreadful and not good enough to win regular season games consistently. And we've seen that over and over again. We've seen that this year. But in the tournament, their defense is good enough is is really good and is good enough to at least keep some games close, especially against teams that don't see it all the time. And then when teams are close, Tyus Battle seems to take over and get the buckets they need to. So they may squeak in the tournament again as a 10 seed, as a 9 seed, and then make another run to the Elite Eight for whatever reason, just because the defense is so good. But They do it every year. It's not even a surprise anymore. It's it's very real though that their offense is not good enough to make them no. as good as they should be. And it could be, but o- O'Shea Brissett for some reason, somebody put it in O'Shea Brissett's head that he has to shoot threes. 
And so he literally stands behind the three-point line, and that's what he does. I'm like, dude, please, go inside. You're a beast. Yeah. Like, just stand in the paint, man. Like, stop shooting from out there. But he won't. All those, guys get, all those guys get feedback. They get, it, What's that? feedback. they get feedback from NBA scouts that are like, we know you're good in the post. We need to see if you can shoot threes. And so they spend that entire next year just jacking up shots from three that they have no business shooting. Yeah, it just it frustrates me because, dude, like he should not be good, really good player. He should not be shooting from out there at all, yeah. ever, ever. So, anyways, that's yeah. just my little take on Syracuse. I don't think they're a Final Four team, but <laughs> if they made the Final Four look like a genius, then it's because they do it every year, and that's what Syracuse does. Beheim Beheim prepares them to get in the tournament, and anyone on their jersey is going to put them in nine times out of ten. So. Unless they completely fall flat on their face, and they'll win enough games, win enough games in the ACC to go 500 and be relevant. So, because they'll beat somebody, they're not. They'll beat North Carolina. They'll beat Duke or somebody. Yeah, I have an irrational dislike for Syracuse because I think they're the poster child for the high major program that schedules just well enough to get in the tournament and rely on their ACC schedule. Beheim, I think he gets the hives when he has to leave New York before New Year's. <laughs> well, Bill, well, Bill and, and if I'm good in the show, they got beat by Buffalo. He would much Bill rather play Cornell in yeah. Eastern Michigan at home and get 11 to 12 wins and then get eight or nine more. And he can say, hey, look, we won 21 games. But he's like, the exact reason mid-majors don't get a shot. Yeah. I mean that's the same. You could, the same argument can be made though for for Shashevsky and um, Bill Self because Bill because it can, the but they the play the Champions Classic every year. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I guess they that's do. True. But like true road games, like North back the crap out of Roy Williams for doing what he did. I mean he he, he took the road games at Wofford and at Elon, knowing that he you know blow well the Wofford game was at. Actually, one I thought maybe they might lose, but the end game they were going to blow them out, and he knew he was going to probably beat Walford, but he still played them there, yeah. which is cool. Right. I did. I did some research a few years ago for something, and there was a span over eight years where Bayheim literally played five true road games outside the state of New York. Wow. In the non-conference. That's unbelievable. It was ridiculous. So- what you're telling me is that Randy Bennett of St. Mary's was starting to learn from Bayheim and then realized it wasn't the best way to go. Yeah. Exactly. Randy Bennett doesn't want to leave the state. Like, he, he, he barely has to leave the state of California, so he just really likes California, apparently. The only place I think he really has to go is where Portland may be. Yeah, is that the only one that's out of Gonzaga? And, yeah. Yeah, so – Gonzaga, Portland, Gonzaga, Portland, and Utah. Like those are the only three states he has to go to. So Oregon, Washington, Washington and Utah. And, uh, yeah. Utah. Other than that, he can't really never has to leave the state of California. Which is really frustrating for me because it's it's one of those things where it's like if you had done this last year, scheduled like you did this year, last year, St. Mary's is in the tournament almost no question. Yeah, easily is a higher seed, probably like a yeah. five. I don't think St. Mary's was that but, good last year. I think they kind of benefit, like got propped up because they played such a terrible schedule. 
and we're St. Mary's. Well, I mean, that's true. <laughs> but they had, I mean, but they had Jock Landale. Yeah, but they lost a they lost a Washington State and Georgia. Uh, yeah, I remember Mark, when Washington Mark Fox State had Georgia. That, like, not even Tom Crean, Georgia. Mark Fox, well, Georgia. Well, they're yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, but I remember last year when Washington State won that tournament, the Wooden Legacy or whatever it was that they won. That was when like, they maybe they'll Mary's. be good. Yeah. Maybe there's it was like maybe they'll be good, and I was like, no, they won't be good. <laughs> they won't be good at all. And sure enough, they weren't good. And I said the same thing. Actually, to be perfectly honest with you, another really disappointing team in the non-conference, Miami. Oh, the Hurricanes. Gosh. Yep. Man, they they are a mess. They are a, uh, like they're a mess, mess. Is Kansas really the only uh, school that was touched in the FBI investigation that's like maintained any sort of success since that news broke? I'm trying to think. I would. Uh, I would say it depends on what you're talking about in terms of success. Um, just in terms of. of Winning and meeting expectations because USC has fallen off, Miami's fallen off, um, Arizona's fallen off just because they couldn't get anybody to recruit any recruits to come in this year. Um, you know, it just it kind of feels like to me that all the all of those schools have suffered on the court in, in one way or another, whether it be as a direct result of that or not. I don't know. I just think that's kind of an interesting trend. That is interesting. I never... Speaking of recruits that didn't go to Arizona, Javon Quinterly. I haven't, I mean, I don't really know what to think about him because I haven't really watched him play because Jay Wright won't play him. But from what I've heard from some people that, that are close to the Villanova program have said like, it's not a Jay Wright problem. It's a Javon Quinterly problem. I don't know how true that is. And I'm never going to bash on a kid for anything. I don't really know anything about, but something there's a reason he's not playing. I don't know if he's good enough. The little bit that we've seen him play, I mean, he's turning it over a ton. Uh, he's shooting a ton and not – like he has the highest usage rate on the team, I think, or at least he, he did. He plays like he, five minutes a game. And he's and he's he's turning it over all the time and he's shooting it a lot and he's not making a lot of his shots. So, like, I, it, it must have been something in practice where he was very clearly not playing well and getting outplayed by people to where Jay Wright was like, I, I can't play you. Do something he's good enough. Do something he's good enough. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Sorry. That's right. Is that, is that something that Wright should have seen in the preseason or in practice before the season started and thought maybe he isn't quite ready for this level yet? I'm saying well, like redshirt him at least. Yeah, yeah that's maybe, what I'm thinking. Well, maybe he did and then gave him a couple minutes in the openers against bad teams to see if maybe it was just a practice thing or how we'd adjust to real game competition. Maybe it was something like that. Maybe it's also the fact how it would look if – you got you got a, a five star kid, and Villanova doesn't get many of them. You finally got a, a high profile five star kid, and then you redshirt him right away. Like I don't know if he wants to, if that would send the wrong message when they're trying to recruit future guys like that. But it's Villanova. The optics at this point shouldn't matter for them. Oh no, I, I agree. I'm just wondering if that played into yeah. the making it all. I don't know. I just don't. I mean, I, Colin Colin Connor Gillespie. Oh he's he's, he's so he, bad. He he ain't man. Like he got they have to find. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. And I remember it's funny because I listened to other podcasts or like, and I've just read like tweets. So like, Connor Gillespie seems to be coming around. I'm like, not. What he's not. Like, are you watching the same thing I do? Because he doesn't look like he's comfortable at all. And that's just maybe because I've watched Archer Diacono for so long, and then I watched Jalen Brunson, and you're like, oh, all right, well this is how it's supposed to be. And then Gillespie comes in, he's not good. I mean, I don't. I mean, he's not. He's not nearly what. 
no. I expect to have for a Villanova point guard on the Jay Wright team at all. He's not very skilled, and he can't, he's slow. He can't make up for it with anything. Like he's a defensive liability because he just can't move his feet fast enough. And they're more of a and Villanova. I think takes like don't they have an like behind them in Creighton? I think it's Creighton in the Big East, and then they. Don't they shoot like the most? They shoot a ton of threes. They, I've, I, I, I did an article after they lost to Furman about kind of what was going on with them this year. And they're playing Villanova basketball. They're just not playing it well. They're shooting, um, I think, like 52 or 53% of all of their total shots from three, which is okay. five to, to six percent higher than they've done in any season before. So they're shooting more threes than they ever have. And they're only like 140th in the country in three part percentage. They're only making like 35% of them, which is have not. You looked- which is not Villanova-esque. So they're shooting more and making less, which is a problem. Have you looked at that? Where does Creighton fall into there? I haven't looked looked into to see what Creighton does, but I, I just – Well, they compare, shoot a ton of threes all the time, but they make – Yeah, a lot I was just comparing this Villanova team to, okay. to what they had done in the past and kind of tried to see what the, what the issue okay. made. Okay. Because that's what they were saying. I mean, that's I know they shoot a ton of threes, and I don't really know if they have the guys to shoot a ton of threes. I don't – I mean, they don't have a – Phil Booth's not an overly great shooter. Pascal's an okay shooter. I just don't think they have a lot of guys who are really would look at me like, oh, really good shooter. Like last year with Bridges, yeah. phenomenal shooter. They don't they really have, have that guy. They have good, not great shooters, and they don't have guys who can who can beat their guy off the dribble, who can attract other defenders. Because that's right. something last year that Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Kale Bridges, DiVincenzo, they could they could drive and they could dish and then somebody would hit a three. Now everything is just on the perimeter and then passing it back and forth because they can't beat their guy. And that's more perimeter jump shots and more contested perimeter jump shots, which is why they're and not even if they And even last year, if they couldn't dish out for a three, they had you know the monster Omari Spellman underneath who yeah. would usually get a dunk and – and that's speaking of Kansas basketball and monsters inside, having Adoka as a bouquet back right before conference play takes them to the next level. Because they're think... so good when he's in there and they do so such simple stuff, just pick and rolls, and he just comes right through the middle and he's always open and they just go right over the top of everybody. He makes them, I think, as good as they can be. I, I think he doesn't solve all of their issues because they still have some major problems, I think, with consistent guard play, particularly Quentin Grimes and getting production out of players not named Diedrich Lawson, Azubuke, or Legero Vick. But he, I mean, he certainly adds a dimension to them that they need for them to be the team that they think they can be. My thing is, how long is Legero Vick going to play by Bill Self's rules? I mean, how long until he basically yeah. goes crazy? Because I don't even remember what happened, but I know that it was a huge deal, and they said that LeGerald Vick, from Bill Self's own mouth, was probably not going to play on this year's team. I think it's because Self was tired of all of his garbage. But well, he also declared for the draft and like never came back to school. Like he declared for a draft and was in the draft pool, didn't get drafted, and then magically appeared back on Kansas's roster. Yeah. Well, did he? I mean, did he hire an agent? Do we know that? No, he didn't hire an agent. Okay, well, that's probably okay. I mean, nothing. Listen, nothing was surprised me anymore. Honestly, after the FBI thing, literally nothing surprises me anymore about any of this stuff. Yeah, especially Patino speaking English to his Greek players and then looking at him like he's <laughs> literally speaking a foreign language, and he's like, hey, "I just can't get through to these guys." Yeah, they don't. Yeah, I know. Like, they don't understand what you're trying to tell them. It's a bunch of loud noises. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, one team that kind of I think we rode off a little bit too quickly as as you know college basketball fans was Kentucky. They had that really bad loss to Duke. Played a bunch of mediocre, to low average teams. Lost to Seton Hall, and everyone was saying that Kentucky wasn't a top twenty five worthy team. Um, blew out Utah, uh, handled Louisville pretty well, and then beat UNC. Um, do you still think? They're a top, I mean, they are a top 25 team, but do you think that they could be as good as we thought they would be at the beginning of the year, or do you think that um, they'll kind of get exposed in SEC? Let's just say beating beating Utah this year is not like a giant feat. I mean, yeah. they're, not, they're not very good. But my take with Calipari is I never – I always – as seasons go on, their team gets that much better. So going into the tournament, I always trust the Calipari team because they always seem to be playing ridiculous basketball and playing so well when the tournament starts. And at the start of the year, I think they just figure each other out. It kind of happens when he has a brand-new roster of guys every year. But I think Travis is the big key because usually when Calipari has such a young roster, if he doesn't have that veteran leadership, they really struggle in postseason play because guys haven't been there and don't know what it's like. It's a totally different animal. There's a tendency to to swing too far to the extreme on one side or the other when it comes to Kentucky because when they're playing bad and losing some games, it becomes, oh, well, they're really young and maybe these guys aren't that good. Um, And there's a general, I I think, bias towards Calipari because of how good of a recruiter he is that he's not as good of a coach. And so then it becomes, these guys aren't good. Cal doesn't know what he's doing. Then they start playing well, and it becomes, it's Kentucky, they have all these NBA guys. They're really, really good. They're going to be great win the national championship, blah, blah, blah. I think I, there's there's a swing so far back and forth with Kentucky. They always fall somewhere in the middle. So this, I mean, they're, they're certainly better than we thought they were three weeks ago. But what we've seen from them, I think Keldon Johnson has become the guy, which is something they didn't have last year, and he's he's surefire top 10 pick. I think a guy that doesn't get talked about enough nationally. And, and the, I'll just point to the big wins against UNC and Louisville because, as we mentioned, Utah, you know, Seems like anybody could beat Utah right now. Um, against UNC, Ashton Higgins was the real big key for them defensively, and putting him in the, in, in the starting lineup has certainly helped. Um, but that's really the best game that he's played, and he has made contributions, but not overly major contributions in any other game. And then against Louisville, Tyler Harrow stepped up and, and played really well and made his contributions in a way that he hasn't really made in any other game. One of the Plus sides of Kentucky's, they have so many talented players that you can get games like that from anybody on the roster at any time. The downside is they always rely on that second person to step up, but they don't know who that second person is going to be, and that second person doesn't always step up. So you have Kellen Johnson, you have Reed Travis, you know what you're going to get from those guys. But when they get a third guy to step up, that's when they become a team that are one uh, that looks like the team we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. The problem is there's no real consistency behind who that third guy is. I want it to be PJ Washington. I think Cal does too, but he just oh, it should it should be, but he just yeah. for mm-hmm. some reason just doesn't have that motor in his mm-hmm. head all the time. And Jamarl Jamarl Baker is also going to be pretty good if he mm-hmm. can ever get fully healthy. So, yeah. are they the third best team in the SEC? I could put them as second. I watched Auburn play NC State. In person, it was a game Auburn lost, and they just looked—they looked really sloppy. Uh, I think it was very clearly the worst game they played all year. But I wasn't overly impressed with anything they were doing. 
Um, it was just more of we're going to try and just beat you down the court, uh, and if we don't, then we're going to shoot a three somehow. I, I didn't see anything that made them stand out as being special. I really like Mississippi State a lot. I think Mississippi State's going to challenge at the top of there. They, they're they good. I mean, they're really good. They have both the Witherspoons, Lamar Peters, a point, the flashy point guard. They have a bunch of dudes in the middle in – uh, well, Eric Coleman's a monster, but mm-hmm. they they're they're a good team. But I don't. I mean, I don't know. Again, like it's hard to say. I mean, they're obviously not better than Tennessee, Kentucky, but it's also hard to bet against them because they've just been yeah. there every year, and they're going to be there again. And otherwise, and besides that, Mississippi State's still going to have to go out and beat them. And I don't know yeah. if they can do that. That's the thing. Is that a lot of these schools? other than probably Tennessee, because Tennessee, Rick Barnes just coaches his guys really well, all these teams are going to have to go and beat them. And the only teams I think that can beat them consistently, because they have Florida and uh, Tennessee are the two teams that usually always seem to give Kentucky trouble. Everybody else in the SEC, they have no trouble with. I don't think Florida's very good. Yeah, I don't think Florida's very good either. They can't score. No. They they run into some Syracuse problems that they have worse defense. Yeah. Depends depends on yeah. depends on who you ask. I mean, if you ask uh, Laval Jordan, they can score pretty well. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's true. I would also I keep waiting for LSU. LSU has the talent to be up there with those teams. Yeah, true, but they're really really young, and I keep waiting for them to kind of turn it on and kind of figure it out and start showing some progress, and they haven't yet. They may very well at some point, but uh, they just haven't had that switch yet. And I will, I will say with them as well, their, their, sched, their SEC schedule sets up really, really well for them to have a big year, kind of like Tennessee and Auburn benefited from last year. I think they only play Kentucky once. Like they only play the, the big four, um, uh, Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky, and Mississippi State, uh, once each. I believe like they, the schedule works out to where they avoid having home and homes against all of those guys. Naz Reed is a scary dude, man. Yes. He's scary dude. Like he's, 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 he's a beast. <laughs> like it's just, and is Tremont water still coming off the bench? I don't think so. I think that I don't think so. No, cause I've seen, I've watched a couple of their games and the two that I watched, two most recent ones I watched, he came off the bench. I don't know if it was because, they're just trying to give their freshman point guard a little bit more run, but uh, Tremont Waters should not be coming off the bench for them. No, I think that may have been a discipline thing or something okay. along those lines. Okay, cool. All right. All right, so uh, wrapping it up, got a few more minutes. So we're going to hop into a little bit of uh, getting your thoughts on through non-conference play halfway through the season. Uh, who do you think is the best team in the country? Um in terms of not necessarily most talented, because obviously we're all going to say Duke, but in terms of the best shot at actually winning the national championship. Um, who do you think is the best player in the country? And which conference are you most looking forward to watching games? So I'll start with you, Jason. Best team, best player, and which conference are you most looking forward to? Uh, for me, the best team – I'm going to go with Tennessee. I just – I love Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. I think they're just a couple of beasts. And I think they win the SEC. And I'm betting they're going to end up the number two overall seed in the tournament. 
the uh, the best player. I know it's gonna be a popular choice, but I gotta go with Zion. He's just unreal. I wish he would stay one more year. I know he won't, but I wish he would. <laughs> and uh, the conferences, I'll be honest, I'm excited to watch most of the mid-major conferences. Like we talked about, like the MAC is going to be great. The SOCON's going to be great. Uh, I think the Big South will be solid. I think the Big Sky is solid. But the SEC is going to be really good. The ACC is going to be a battle every night. Big Ten, they're just going to beat the living daylights out of each other every night. So I actually think a large majority of the conferences are going to be really fun to watch. And it's because, like we talked about at the beginning, there are a ton of mid-major teams that are really, really good. Yeah. I'll, 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 I will piggyback off that. I think um, – there's all a lot of conferences going to be really fun to watch. I think the most, though, for me is going to be the ACC, just because you have nine teams in there right now who you look at and say those are legit tournament teams that are going to have to play their way out of a spot. So there's going to be multiple games every week and most games every weekend that are between two tournament teams and, and people jostling for position in the ACC and also tournament seating uh, and then you know potentially ACC championships because we're Virginia Duke uh, Florida State Virginia Tech UNC no one's gonna be surprised if any of those five teams win the ACC NC State's right there Syracuse is right there um, you, you got you got it I know I'm forgetting some teams right now but there there's a number of teams that you can turn on and you could say okay I want to see what this team can do against this other good team I think they're gonna have the most top quality games of every conference there is you forgot Wake Forest in there, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> joking, joking, yeah. <laughs> Remember they gave Danny Manning an extension last year, so he may not be fired. Um, yes. In terms of best team, I, I look around the country, the top teams, and I, I think every one of them has flaws right now. Um, before the season, I thought UNC would end up being the best team because I think they can do the most things. They have the personnel to do the most things. But Roy has been terrible this year. And they haven't made any changes, any adjustments. And part of that is, is because Nasir Little isn't as good as people thought he was going to be. He hasn't progressed at all, really. Um, so I, I kind of ruled them out. I, I would go with Duke right now. They have some problems in the half court uh, and shooting. They, they really struggle when you make them execute in half court sets, um, which is what Texas Tech made them do most of the night and almost beat them. But they're too good too athletic. You can't keep them out of the fast break forever. Trey Jones is going to, if you want to play half court game with Trey Jones is going to get five steals from your opposing point, from your point guard. I think they can do the most with what they have. Um, we talked about Kentucky's problems, Virginia, no one's going to believe in because of the way they play until they actually prove it and go out and, and win a championship. Tennessee. I'm not quite sold on. Uh, I'm not sold on Admiral Schofield shooting all these threes and, and them getting consistent enough play to win a champion, a, a national championship. Again, I don't think they have the overall talent level of some of these other teams. Um, Gonzaga, I don't trust Josh Perkins. Nevada has been playing with fire in seemingly every game. They've had so many games that they, they've won, but like they've beat Grand Canyon by eight. Or they'll, they were losing most of the game against Arizona State and then came back and won that game. They've had so many games that have been 
just way too close for you to really feel comfortable about. And with all that, I look at the best team or the most talented team. And for, for me, at least that's Duke. Um, and keeping with Duke and the ACC, I still think the best player is RJ Barrett. I know everybody loves Zion Williamson and, and he's great and everybody should because of the obvious gifts he has and things he can do, but he still can't shoot. RJ Barrett's biggest problem is his inefficiency and I guess selfishness with the ball and, and lack of a willingness to pass. Those are all th- both things that are correctable and things that he has shown some improvement on. He's reverted back at times. And the Texas Tech game in particular was not a great showing for him in those regards. Um, but skill-wise, he can do the most of anybody in the country. All right. I'm going to – I guess I'll, I'll try to follow that. Thanks, Brian. That was a – Yeah, was a try to follow book. that. Yeah. So um, I will uh, – the team that I there's a couple teams that I think that can win it all. One team that none, neither of you two have mentioned, Jason or Brian Ralph, uh, Michigan. Yes, Michigan. Initially, when they first started playing, they were not scoring as many points. Um, you know, it was hard to make up for the Mo Wagner's losing him. That defense is legit. Like they play defense now, which Beeline has never done before, and now the scoring starting to happen. So because of that reason. And Michigan's going to be battle-tested every night in the Big Ten. And I still think they're the best team in that league easily. Um, but And Beeline in March has proven that he's a different beast in March. So going with Michigan to win it all. Wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee. Wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky. Wouldn't be surprised if Duke won. And I still wouldn't be surprised if North Carolina won it all. I don't think they will. But they can. Um, Nasir Little has to be a lot better than he has been. And Kobe White has to have better decision-making with the ball than he has been. And Roy, the self-proclaimed worst coach in America from himself, (laughs) has to be better than he has been to date. But they can still win it. Any of those teams can win it. Nevada can win it, but they probably won't. But the one thing about Nevada that's interesting, they're the most experienced and oldest team in the country. I think their average age of that's like 22 point or 23.2 years old. So they have a lot of guys that have experienced a lot of guys that play in the tournament. A lot of guys that can score. The Martin twins are must see TV. It's probably older than the Hawks. Yeah. They're, they're, they're old, man. <laughs> like they, they think they said their roster is older, like combined age older than a couple of NBA teams, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And then if you have, but must has an NBA team. I mean, he came from the NBA, so he's trying yeah. to build it that same way. Then so if you're going with the best player in the country, I really like I I don't want to do this, but Zion Williamson is a is a monster. Mm-hmm. I mean the kid's going to the NBA. Sorry, Jason, but it's going to happen. He already, <laughs> he's he's already he's already talking about it now. I mean people ask him like, what happens if you get drafted by the Knicks? So between him and R.J. Barrett, those two together, I think are a package deal. They're amazing. Um, they're going to lead Duke to a lot of wins, but. I didn't realize – I've watched Duke play a couple times. I didn't realize how bad Zion's shooting numbers actually were because you just, I think, get so, like, awestruck by the things he can do mm-hmm. that you don't realize that he can't shoot. But, yeah, he's not a very good shooter at all. And then for um, conference to watch, I'm a huge Big Ten fan, so I'll be focused on that. Um, I do like the Horizon League as I am – I cover the Horizon League, and there's a Summit League team in Nebraska where I live, so I'll be watching them play as well. But other than that, um, you know, 
that's kind of where I'll be at. So, uh, best player is a tough one. I think. I mean, I agree with you, Brian. Zion Williamson is probably the best raw athlete that we've seen in over a decade, at least. I mean, in terms of just raw athleticism on the court, uh, you know, the best we've seen in college basketball in at least a decade. Ethan Happ, I think, has a strong chance to win player of the year just because he is Wisconsin. And if you look at his numbers, literally, <laughs> if you look at his numbers, this might he's just he's so frustrating to watch because like he just plays so different than the game is right now. If he was playing like 20 years ago, he would be the greatest player of all time. <laughs> so like he just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, some other names. Sorry. I mean, Rui Hachimura was hot starting off. I think that um, between his defensive struggles and, and you know, some relatively off games, um, it, it almost it almost feels like Brandon Clark right now is the best player on Gonzaga over Rui, uh, just because he can play both ways really well. Um, but the, the player that I've been most impressed with, I think, this year, at least in terms of relatively – good shot at being player of the year is Grant Williams at Tennessee. Uh, people are always going to talk about Admiral Field because he's the flashier player. But I think Grant Williams is, is the player with, with fewer holes, uh, fewer holes on that team. So while Admiral Schofield can go and shoot his 30 points against Gonzaga, I mean, Grant Williams is really going to be the one that, that as Grant Williams goes, Tennessee goes. But I want to give the majors some love. Uh, Jay Morant from Murray State is unbelievable. I mean, you you don't expect that from from a from a team like Murray State. He's gonna end up being a, a lottery pick for sure. And I, I think I have this right. Um, so Murray State will have had hit, assuming he at least goes in the first round. We'll have had him go in the first round. We'll have had um, oh, what's his name, Cameron Payne go in the. Cameron Payne go in the first round, and Isaiah Cannon go in the first round, which will have been three point guards picked in the top, I think, 35 or 36 picks um, in the past six or seven years. I think Isaiah Cannon came out in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, the 2012 draft. Mm-hmm. So since 2012 draft, there have been three point guards taken in the top 36 picks, which is the same number of point guards taken in the top 36 picks as Kentucky's had in that same time period. Murray State's got a program, man. I mean, they've just they they plug. It's kind of like a plug and play thing. I mean, they have Steve Perron was their coach there. Then he went to Iowa State. So I kind of thought, well, maybe they'd be down a little bit, but nope. They just they got mm-hmm. the new guy in there now. I don't remember what his name is. And then he has just done exactly what Steve Perron did with, mm-hmm. but John Morant, man, that guy. Plus, he plays with swag. Like he just has that. Like he, I mean, he goes about. He's kind of like got the like quiet comps, but he's not really quiet about it. If that makes sense. He's actually yeah. cocky, but then he but then he goes and like posterizes you, and you don't expect it to happen. And I like guys that play like that. So, and then as for conferences, I'm looking forward to mine. Probably right now is the Big Ten. Um, I just they surprised me with how good they were in the non-conference. What eight teams with two or fewer losses in non-conference play right now? Something like that. So and the the other one is Wisconsin. 
So they've got, you know, nine teams that can really hold their own. And it's, again, same as the ACC, it's going to be a matter of playing themselves out of the tournament. All right. So we're getting closer to the end of this podcast. Uh, one thing we want to do on these podcasts, something a little bit more fun, a little bit more playful, is, uh, as some of you may know on Twitter, I do what I call hashtag not takes. Uh, takes so hot that they're not really takes at all. So I asked you guys to submit some takes uh, that you wanted to share. And we're going to have the three guys respond to them as if they were real. So uh, here's one. And I think this was actually submitted by Brian. But someone said that Diedrich Lawson is just a less athletic poor man's Ethan Happ. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to dissect that from. Like, there's so many things in that – Okay, so let me just kind of tell you the, the background on here. So I'm not going to call anybody out, but I saw this tweet, and I wasn't going to respond to it because I didn't have time to argue with the guy to that day. But there was people that actually did respond to it. And he was still claiming, he's like, well, Ethan Happ is the, like, the most athletic player in college basketball. And I was like, what? <laughs> First of all, I was, like, I was like, wait, who did he say was the most? Ethan Happ? Like, it's not, nothing against Ethan Happ. Great player does exactly what he's supposed to do for Wisconsin, probably going to have a illustrious career in the NBA, not a model of athleticism. Like he's just, he's not, I mean, he can, he struggles to dunk the basketball sometimes and he's seven and he's seven foot tall. So, I mean, I just, I'm not going to delve into it anymore because I still don't know where they how to like wrap my head around what he said, but I'll just kind of let somebody else enter their opinion on that one. Um, I, I think we're all in agreement there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then he tried to say that Deidre is not really that athletic. And I was like, uh, yeah, he is. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say Lawson is Zion Williamson athletic. He's not going to wow you with his athleticism. But come on. Ethan Happ's athleticism is a step above Shemek Karnowski's. <laughs> <laughs> So here's I here's another one. really good one to you too. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm pulling that, that one up. Here's another good one. Uh, again, not naming any names, just reading out the tweet. I can't imagine any NBA team drafting Zion Williamson. There's no reason to guard him more than 15 feet from the basket. I'd let him shoot out there all day. It's possible that he could become a Dennis Rodman type player at best. Which let me just say this: I so he shouldn't draft him because he can't shoot. Apparently not. And let me just so, say this. Like, is being Dennis Rodman that bad? Dennis Rodman is great. <laughs> like, yeah, like, Dennis Rodman's a Hall of Famer. Like, you shouldn't draft him because he could turn into a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Worst case scenario. That's an awful draft pick. Yep. <laughs> Plus, the problem is, Ron, is if, if, if you don't guard him 15 feet away, he'll just go past you and dunk on you. Yeah. I mean – I would I say know. that with Zion, I don't really know. I don't really necessarily know where he would play in the NBA. I mean, he's going to have limitations where he can play. I mean, are they going to let him be like Chuck Hayes type, just a lot more athletic and play the five, or is he going to be? I mean, he's not really good enough to shoot as a three. No, he's not. He's I definitely not a two guard. I think he'll be he'll be better used as a four or five. I mean, he can certainly he's strong enough to hold his own down low and can jump high enough to where it's not going to matter if someone's a couple inches taller than he is. Right. 
mean, I'm not yeah. saying he won't get drafted. I think he'll be a lottery pick, but I just don't know where he. I mean, I don't know where he where where you play him at. Is he might he might squeak into the second round somewhere, <laughs> maybe 45. <laughs> yeah. Can, can they stack him overseas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Draft and stash Zion. <laughs> but the guy that he the guy that he tweeted that to, I remember, um, just replied back to the tweet and he goes, um, like he goes, like I don't know who would draft Zion, and the guy goes, uh, every every NBA team would draft Zion. And the guy's like, I disagree. He's like, well, I, um, I'm an NBA draft analyst, and, and I don't disagree. So, <laughs> oh man! All right, so why don't we tell you, tell everyone where they can find us on Twitter and uh, what we what new story we've been uh, working on. All right, you Jason. can find you can find me at College Hoops Guy, and the big piece I'll have coming out this week is the West Coast Conference rankings. So Connor, don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at bralph thirty three b r a u f thirty three. Um, I have some National Player of the Year rankings that should go up. Uh, next couple days here. I know I said Zion Williamson, or I said RJ Barrett was the best player in the country, and I believe that, but he is not number one in those rankings. There's also going to be a new mock draft uh, out soon, and I know I said RJ Barrett is the best player, most skilled player in the country, but he's not number one in that either. So, those will be coming down. Alright, you can find me on Twitter, um, Three Color Beard. I am working on a couple things right now. One, I do um, player of the year from a random conference of my choosing every, they get released every Friday. So conference player of the year for a random conference every Friday. And then um, I'm working on uh, something we call buy and sell at busting brackets where I basically take five teams and I tell you whether you should buy them, sell them, or basically hold off on them for a while. Um, So we're going to do a lot of big East teams this month and that's a monthly thing I do. So, Great. And you can follow me at Condorian FM. I'm working on the Mountain West rankings, the Western Athletic Conference rankings, and the non-conference coach of the year rankings. So you can see where I think all the coaches stack up behind John Beeline. Um, so, <laughs> so with that, make sure that you follow all of us at Busting Brackets, uh, we have a lot of great contributors who are going to be on this podcast throughout the season. And have a great one. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.